Hi, I'm Neil. And I'm Ken. And we are from the Triviality Podcast, a pub trivia-style game show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Join us each week for an hour-long game of general knowledge trivia featuring special guests from around the world, plus tons of extra themed episodes. If you want to improve your trivia game, or you just want to scream at us in your car when we get easy questions wrong, then we're the show for you. Find Triviality on all your favorite podcast apps. But you know that, because you're already listening to a podcast. Hello everyone, it's here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected, as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. Can I ask you something? Yeah, of course. All right, so have you ever developed a habit or a tick or something like a something that you didn't always do but you noticed that you've been doing it lately and it bothers even yourself hmm give me an example so um i noticed the last month or so i've been burping through my teeth and it's very <laughs> unattractive and i hate it but i don't notice that i'm doing it until after i've done it and i'm like god dang it (laughs) (laughs) it's yeah actually okay now that you mention it i think i understand what you're talking about yeah um yes i do i do in fact it's it's weird because just recently i noticed that when i go into the bathroom to pee oh is this going to be family appropriate yeah i think so okay (laughs) i'm standing in front of the toilet getting ready Mm -hmm. and i will lift my right foot up and then put it down like i'm tom brady waiting for the snap from center (laughs) i'm not sure why i do that really interesting yeah it's very strange (laughs) getting ready for the big handle the handoff so to speak (laughs) well at least i don't feel so bad now though if you catch me doing it i want you to just throw something at me because i don't like it burping through your teeth yeah okay huh i wonder why that started i, I haven't noticed know. that no I, I i haven't noticed it at all okay but now i'm gonna be hyper fixated on it i so. wish that you would be okay just right. hit me <laughs> no i would never ever ever do that also wanted to quickly say just again say thank you for everybody who reached out to us during the hurricane that was really thoughtful um we won't go into too many details because we did drop that uh it's not really an episode but that message um thursday letting everybody know the details of what what took place from our perspective yeah we were so fortunate very very fortunate so fortunate that so many people checked in on us we really appreciate you guys I'm very, very excited because we are two, three weeks away from this long-anticipated trip to Barcelona mm-hmm. that, that we're, we're going to take. We're going over there with uh, 
with the idea of maybe starting to record some odd travel videos, I know you've already actually started with a trip to Cancun, but really kind of scaling that up. Yeah, that was just kind of a practice run. We didn't even do anything odd that trip. No. Well, no. Not by our standards. No. <laughs> Probably by other people's standards, for sure. <laughs> yeah. What's the name of that that cathedral? The, uh, the Sagrada Familia? Yeah, Sagrada Familia, the, yeah. Uh, the church, the cathedral, or whatever, I guess, the technical term would be, that's been under construction for over 150 years. I'm looking forward to seeing that. Yeah. Uh, of course, the museums, looking forward to that. And um, also, I'm hoping that I'll get to see some of the cyborgs in Barcelona. <laughs> um, as far as I know, that's not on our list. What are you talking about? There are cyborgs in Barcelona. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, it's true. In fact, Barcelona was the original home of the Cyborg Foundation that was that was founded there in 2010. It's a nonprofit organization that was founded by cyborg activists and artists Moon Rebus and Neil Harbinson. They research, create, and promote projects related to extending and creating new senses and perceptions by applying technology to the human body. Okay. The, uh, the foundation was housed in the Techno Campus Scientific Park in Barcelona, uh, but currently it's in New York City. But there are cyborgs in Barcelona. But not like yeah. cyborgs. Cyborgs, Yeah. Their mission in the uh, foundation is to, uh, this is pretty cool, to assist humans in becoming cyborgs, to promote the use of cybernetics, and defend cyborg rights. They believe that cybernetic extensions should be treated not as devices, but as body parts. Okay. Have they not watched the Terminator series? Much of their work is actually philanthropic in nature. That's nice. They've developed some very useful, well... I was going to say devices, but they would prefer me to refer to it as body parts. Kind of like prosthetics? Sort of, yes. They donated um, cyborg antennas to blind communities and have taught the use of color sensing technology to blind children to help them develop a sense of color. That's amazing. Now, you seem skeptical about this whole uh, cyborgs actually existing. I do, yeah. yeah, yeah. I have some questions. Well, they're all over the world, but... But especially in Barcelona. Um, in fact, the founders of the Cyborg Foundation, Moon Rebus and Neil Harbison, are in fact themselves cyborgs. Neil Harbison refers to himself as a cyborg artist and activist for trans species rights. But what, what about him as cyborgy? He was the first person in the world to have an antenna implanted in his skull. Okay. He is recognized by many to be the world's first legally recognized cyborg. His antenna, which is surgically implanted, sends audible vibrations through his skull to report information to him. It includes the measurement of electromagnetic radiation, uh, phone calls, and music, as well as video and, and photo images, which are translated into audio vibrations. His antenna is Wi-Fi enabled, which allows him to receive signals and and data from satellites right into his brain. How does he perceive it, though? So, like, if he got a text message in his brain, would his eyes, I mean, would his brain 
understand that uh, his yeah. eyes saw it? No. I mean, is that how he would get the information? Or No, it's a learning. This is how I understand it. Okay. It's kind of a learning process because the information is fed into his brain and the brain interprets the information as colors. And so he begins to recognize what certain patterns and colors mean. Oh, okay. His, his brain starts to immediately interpret that stuff. It's almost like robotically induced synesthesia <laughs> kind of <laughs> <laughs> or like a person who's um a medium and uh connecting with someone on the other side and Maybe. they only get kind of met like muddly messages not necessarily like clear text yeah i guess you could look at it that way his cyborg antenna is a sensory system that was created to extend color perception and here's how it works it was implanted and osseointegrated into Harbison's head, and it sprouts from his occipital bone. It has been permanently attached to his head since 2004. Oh, It'll, so he's had some time to figure yeah. out those colors. It allows him to feel and hear colors as audible vibrations inside the head. I'm kind of sort of starting to remember talking about him at one point. Possibly. I think that he came up briefly in one of our other conversations. Could very well be. Of the colors that uh, he can interpret as audio vibrations, they include colors that are invisible to the human eye, such oh. as infrareds and ultraviolets. The antenna also allows yeah, internet connection. Oh, <laughs> my goodness. And therefore, the reception of color from other sensors or from satellites. Wow. Harbison's given permission to a number of friends, five in fact, on each continent, to send colors, images, videos, or sounds directly into his head. If he, <laughs> if he receives colors when he's asleep, they actually color and alter his dreams. <gasps> That's fascinating. Now the first public demonstration of a skull transmitted image was broadcast on the chat show, The Stream. Uh, the first person to make a phone call directly into his skull was actress and comedian Ruby Wax. And in 2014, he executed the world's first skull-transmitted painting. Colors were sent from audience members in Times Square as they painted simp simple colored stripes onto a canvas. He received them directly live by internet into his brain and he correctly identified and painted the same colors. Oh, that's neat. And he was about 10 blocks away from Times Square when that took place. But in theory, you could be anywhere in the world as long as he's got an internet connection in his head. That would be a really cool pair of pieces to have. Ooh, wouldn't it? Yeah. He also has a sensory device or in his mind, body part called the solar crown. And this is to help the sensing of time passage. It's a rotating point of heat that takes 24 hours to slowly orbit around Harbison's head. When he feels the point of heat in the middle of his forehead, it is midday solar time in London, which is z latitude zero. Latitude cero? Latitude cero, which is a delicious craft beer from Ecuador. <laughs> I'm sorry. So he, the heat ring tells him what time of day it is? Yeah, he senses his brain begins to learn that where it is in relation, the, the heat ray is in relation to his head as to what time it is. 
when the heat reaches the right ear, it's midday in, in New Orleans, which is longitude 90. And his aim is to take Einstein's theory of time relativity into practice by creating time illusions. As he continues to have this operating device, his brain gets accustomed to the passage of time on his head. He's going to explore if he can modify his perception of time by altering the speed of the rotation. Oh, interesting. He says that uh, in the same way we can create optical illusions because we have eyes for the sense of light, we should be able to create time illusions if we have an organ for the sense of time. Yeah, I hate that. <laughs> I don't like that at all. That gives me a very Jacob's Laddery kind of oh, feeling, and I very. don't care for it. Thank you. If time illusions work, he will then be able to stretch or control his perception of time, age, and time travel. <sighs> He's also developed a transdental communication system. It's composed of two teeth, which both contain, interestingly enough, Bluetooth capabilities. <laughs> One has a button and one has like a mini vibrator. Whenever the button is pressed, it sends a vibration to the other person's tooth. One tooth was installed in Harbison's mouth, the other in Moon Rebus's mouth. And uh, they wanted to know if they could communicate with, with each other using Morse code in this way. And it was successful. The first demonstration of the system was presented in Sao Paulo. That's really interesting. You've got to be really sure about who you're sharing your brain contacts with, yeah. though. Yeah, like for there, sure. are, there are very few people that I even want sending me memes. No, I get that. I mean, my biggest fear is if I had that. I'm just uh, kidding. Everyone should send me the memes. <laughs> my biggest fear is that if I had that sort of Wi-Fi enabled, skull implanted, uh, phone receiving antenna in yeah. my head. I would just get call after call from car warranty companies. Of course you would. And they would continue to call even after I listed my headphone number <laughs> on the do not call my head list. <laughs> okay, so Moon Rebus, she's considered to be the world's first cyborg woman. In 2013, she developed a sensor that vibrates. These are implanted in her feet. They vibrate when there's an earthquake anywhere on the planet. Oh my gosh. The sensor, which is permanently implanted, vibrates at different levels depending upon the intensity of each earthquake and is wirelessly connected to online seismographs, which means that she can feel earthquakes all over the world regardless of where she is. She's been wearing this, the uh, sensor permanently for 10 years now. But wouldn't that be exhausting, like all the time getting information about tectonic plates and stuff? I, I would I think mean, so. There must be a way to shut it off, but I think that it only works when her uh, feet are on the ground, too. Okay. Barcelona does appear to be a hotbed for cyborg activity. <laughs> Manel de Aguas is another Spanish cyborg artist and trans-species activist in Barcelona, best known for developing and installing weather sensory fins on his head. It allows him to hear atmospheric pressure, humidity, and huh. temperature changes through implants on each side of his head. It looks really weird. I bet. Like, almost like horns. Depending on the changes he feels, he can predict weather changes as well as sense his current altitude. His weather fins, which resemble large white seashells or horns, are attached above his ears and fastened to the temporal bones in his skull. 
They're connected to his brain through circuits and uh, serve as functional organs that allow him to detect these changes. Wow. They also send sound waves to his brain through bone conduction. They can be recharged with solar energy and even connected devices like Wi-Fi. Ripley's did a interview with him, Ripley's Believe It or Not, and uh, these are a couple of things he said. The design of the weather fins is divided into two different paths, the sense design and the organ design. The sense design is a stimuli I perceive, which was inspired by underwater sounds and allows me to experience the atmosphere as if, as if I'm submerged in a sea. The organ design, the shape of the body part, was inspired by the fins of flying fish. It took me around a month to get used to the new stimuli and a bit more to get used to having a new physical body part. It feels as if I'm submerged in a liquid environment that is constantly changing its properties. And he also said that one of the unexpected benefits of his weather fins and Mm -hmm. and after receiving all of this new and unusual stimuli is that his level of empathy toward nature and all other human beings has increased dramatically. Oh, my gosh. I can't imagine. It's changing the physiology of a person's mind. That, to me, is so overwhelming, just the thought of it. I mean, I have a hard time with the stimuli available to me now. As far as feeling atmospheric changes, going through that hurricane. Yeah, that was weird, right? That was something I never anticipated was the change in the air pressure it passed by us about six miles from where we were. Mm-hmm. Uh, it went right through Kissimmee, Florida, which is not far from, from where we are. I believe it's Kissimmee. <laughs> yeah, don't say that too <laughs> loud in Florida. But I felt like I was at a high altitude or in an airplane. My ears were popping and I got a, like a sinus headache. Yeah. And I can't imagine having weather fins, whether I'm in a hurricane or not. Here are some other cyborgs of note. Joe Deckney, an artist who has developed and installed a radar system in his head. The sensory system includes two implants in his cheekbones. Paul Pratz created a system that allows him to feel the ultraviolet rays that reach his skin. Oh, wow. That's really clever. Could help... uh, Combat skin cancer. Yeah, Yeah. and, and just keep you from getting burned. Right, that too. Alex Garcia has a sensor installed in his chest that allows him to feel the air quality levels around him. Kai Landre, a musician developing two implants to hear the sound of the particles affected by the collision of cosmic rays. Whoa. Hannah Meltzer, a visual and performance artist who has magnets implanted in her fingers and ears which allow her to feel magnetic fields. It's interesting that these are all artists. Yeah. Yeah, it's got to be someone who's willing to sacrifice their own... Potential well-being. I was going to say comfort level, but yeah, I mean, yours, that too, for the sake of creating something yeah. or, yeah. Pushing the norms. And it's very artisty. It's very avant-garde, which is appropriate because, well, Salvador Dali lived in Spain. That's another another place we want to go when we're in Spain is... No, we don't want to go. We're going to go. We are going The, the uh, Dali Museum. So if all of this makes you uncomfortable or freaks you out a little bit, that's understandable. Just remember what John Connor said. The future is not set. There's no fate, but what we make for ourselves. Doesn't he say anything about air pollution fins or something? No, no, No? nothing about air pollution fins. My source information comes from (laughs) Discovery, Wikipedia, and Ripley's, believe it or not. The cyborgs are here, everyone. (laughs) This message is sponsored by Greenlight. 
You know, as your kids get older, there are some things about parenting that gets easier. I remember once hearing my sister tell my little niece, if you put your pants on, I'll give you some fresca. And when kids can start to reason that they get something if they do something right, it's a lot easier to manage them. Having that conversation about money with your kids, that's not the easiest thing in the world. Fact is, kids won't really know how to manage their money until they're actually in charge of it. And that's where Greenlight can help. Greenlight is a debit card and money app made just for families. Parents can send money to their kids and keep an eye on the kids' spending and savings. While kids and teens build money confidence and lifelong financial literacy skills. Your kids will learn how to save, invest, and spend wisely thanks to the games that teach kids skills in a fun, accessible way. When I was a kid, I had expected chores, and then I had bonus chores. And bonus chores were where I earned money. And so if you're thinking like, hey, my kids should be doing stuff around the house. Yeah, no, you're not wrong. But maybe there's extra ways that they can learn how to be a successful financial money person. What was one of the bonus chores that you had to do? (sighs) Rub my mom's feet. And what did that pay? I don't know, like a quarter or something. Millions of parents and kids are learning about money on Greenlight. It's the easy, convenient way for parents to raise financially smart kids and families to navigate their life together. Sign up for Greenlight today and get your first month free when you go to greenlight.com slash oddities. That's greenlight.com slash oddities to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com slash oddities. I've got to tell you, the longer we've had our aura frame, the more I love it. I have kids and they live about 3,000 miles away and my daughter is expecting a child and she has been sending me updates on her baby bump through the aura frame. And since I can't be there to experience it with her, it's the next best thing. And speaking of mothers, if you're looking for the perfect gift to celebrate your mom in your life, Aura Frames are beautiful Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames. It allows you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and super easy to share photos with the Aura app. And here's the thing, if you're giving Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. We love Aura Frames and living so far away from family, thanks to Aura, it's the next best thing. It's like, it's like almost being there. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Box of Oddities freaks can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off, plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A frames.com. Use code Oddities at checkout to save. That's A-U-R-A frames.com and use code Oddities at checkout, and you will save. Thanks, Aura Frames, for bringing my family a little bit closer. And now, that thing in the middle. The 1918 influenza pandemic was a major event. By the time it was over, it had killed 50 to 80 million people. Today, an equivalent globally disruptive pandemic would have a death toll of 210 million people. I think it was the last episode I was talking about, uh, well, Crystal had sent us an email and she was talking about her grandfather who was uh, in the USS Indianapolis. Oh, right, yeah, yeah. The uh, sea disaster that ended up being the, among other things, 
largest shark attack in history. And I sent her a note and said, hey, we're going to include that in the episode. And she wrote back and said, I just called my dad to tell him Grandpa's story would be on the Box of Oddities. And he corrected me. I thought for the longest time Grandpa was on the Indianapolis because the story is nearly almost the same. However, I have to correct myself, unfortunately, and I'm sorry if you've already recorded the original email. It turns out he was on a different supply ship near Okinawa, oh. which was hit and sunk around the same time as the Indianapolis. Grandpa never said the name of the ship. And I swear my dad told me it was the Indianapolis before, but he gets things mixed up sometimes, too. So I sincerely apologize. He may have been trying to say it was around the same time as the Indianapolis, but it came out that it was the Indianapolis. Anyway, Grandpa was stranded for three days on the open ocean in shark-infested waters because oh. the medical ship originally sent to rescue them was also attacked and sunk before it got to them. He was one of 19 survivors. Wow. Same situation with the sharks, but a different ship and different cargo. Dad said it was uh, about 78 total hours he was just floating in the ocean. Oof. He didn't know the name of the ship, and I'm not finding it on a quick Google search, but I wanted to get this correction to you ASAP. Sorry, I feel like a jerk. Please <laughs> forgive me. No, it's a great story, regardless of uh, what ship he was on. No, it's still you. an amazing story that should never be forgotten. Yeah. Kelly sent us a message on Instagram. Okay, listening to y'all again, because that's what I do. And I got a big chuckle out of the fact that you said that 26 of us called you out on the lack of punnage. She's talking about the superstitions. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <clears throat> My daughter works at a campground in Naples, and a few weeks ago had someone call to say that they would be arriving late for check-in because there were 26 turkeys in the road. Such an oddly specific number. <laughs> it's now become our go-to for anything more than just a few. Sure, yeah. No, there, we all need a go-to number like that. Yep. Thanks, Kelly. We also have go-to names when we're yelling at people, like in traffic. Mm -hmm. Come on, move your ass, Kevin. Oh, nice blinker, Brad. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more— we answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Have you ever wondered what really happened to Amelia Earhart or the lost colony of Roanoke? Do you ever find yourself scouring the internet for vicious Victorians and their murders by gaslight? Or perhaps you're just sick and tired of women being constantly misrepresented or plain lied about throughout history? If so, join me, Katie Charlwood, history harlot and reader of books on Who Did What Now, the history podcast that's not your history class, part of the Area of Media Network. Available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. 
Adios, au revoir, au revoir to Zen, my friends. Bye-bye. I'll be seeing you. This is professional-grade storytelling. Don't try this at home, kids. This is The Box of Oddities. The Gobi Desert. I always thought for the longest time when I was a kid it was the Gobi Desert. It's fair enough. Yeah. And it was the Geyser Strip. I didn't even know about the Geyser Strip when I was a kid, so you were already ahead of me. Uh-huh. I was mispronouncing it, but I was ahead of you. Right. So the Gobi is a desert in Asia, and it has a Google review score of 4.2. I didn't know that you could Google review a desert in <laughs> Asia. I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, but if you would like to jack up that Google review, uh, there's only 945 reviews. So mm. I'm sure we can do something about that. Is it too sandy? Is that is that the main complaint? <laughs> So the Gobi in Central Asia, it's from the Mongolian word meaning waterless place, and it stretches across a huge portion of both Mongolia and China, and it's growing. Desertification is a serious problem that I have the privilege of just learning about. Uh, Deforestation, excessive water usage, etc. means that, according to FootprintMag.com, every year the world's deserts collectively expand by an area approximately equal to the size of Ireland. No shit. Yeah. That's not good. I know. As with any place that is difficult to explore, the Gobi has its secrets. Now, a couple days ago, I created an identify the cryptid search for the Freaks group. Yes, that was interesting. And one of the creatures that people had the most problem with was this guy. The creature first came to Western attention as a result of Roy Chapman Andrews' 1926 book On the Trail of Ancient Man. Roy Chapman Andrews was an American explorer, adventurer, and naturalist who became the director of the American Museum of Natural History. He led a series of expeditions through China in the early 20th century into the Gobi Desert and Mongolia. When he was meeting with some officials about the region, they told him about this creature and asked if he would procure one for them, the Mongolian deathworm. That's one of two that I didn't get on your name, name the cryptid chart you made. You did really well, though. I never heard of this before. And I said, boy, that'll make a great topic. I'm going to do a topic on that. And you said, no, I'm going to do it. You stole the idea from me. You'd never heard of this guy before. So how... So how would I? But you stole it, Mm -hmm. the idea from me. Uh, Also, Mongolian deathworm sounds like a band I would listen to. Absolutely. According to Chapman's book, none of the officials present that he was speaking to had ever seen the creature they called Olgoi Korkoi, or loosely translated, large intestine worm. But... No. (laughs) But they all firmly believed in his existence and described it down to the very last detail. It was said that it got its name because it was long and dark red in color, resembling human intestine. Uh, He's the shape of a sausage, essentially, without any noticeable eyes, nose, or a mouth, and reaches somewhere between two and five feet long. Nope. With spike-like projections at both ends. 
No. The worm is said to inhabit the western or southern Gobi. In 1987, a book by Ivan Mackerel cites a Mongolian legend which described the creature as traveling underground, creating waves of sand on the surface, which allowed it to be detected. Oh, giant sandworms. Yeah, very tremors, no? And Beetlejuice. And Beetlejuice. The Mongolian death worm hibernates, according to locals, for 10 months out of the year, and it only emerges during June and July. And even then, it prefers to rise to the surface when the ground is wet and rain is falling from the skies. Okay, so they 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 look like intestines. They're not in the intestines. That's correct. Oh, thank God. As far as we know. Shut up. He lives in the sandiest, most remote parts of the desert. And it's said that his skin is an exoskeleton, which molts whenever it becomes injured. The death worm spends most of its time hidden beneath the desert sands, which is a good thing, because it wants to and it can kill you in a variety of horrendous ways. First of all, the worm can allegedly spit corrosive venom. Its corrosive yellow saliva is bad news bears for anyone that touches it, as it can corrode metal instantly, which I don't know of a thing that actually does that. I know a few people whose um, personality can do that. <laughs> mm, I'm thinking of one in particular right now. Me too. We're probably thinking of the same one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In addition, the worm is said to have an electric element and can emit shocks powerful enough to kill an adult human. This is nightmare fuel. Ivan Mackerel published some articles based on his travels in Mongolia. He reports that a geologist was killed by a high-voltage electrical discharge when he inadvertently touched a buried Mongolian death worm with an iron rod. Some people believe that the Mongolian death worm attacks. It will raise half of its body from the sand and then inflate itself until it explodes. No, thank you. In kind of a kamikaze, venom-spurting method. Sounds like an alien life form. It does. Yeah. Although most people claim that the Mongolian death worm doesn't have a mouth, others argue that he does, in fact, have a mouth and that he's able to open it exceptionally wide to bear its rows of sharp, inward-pointing teeth. Mm, no. I picture kind of like anglerfish teeth, mm-hmm. you know, so that nothing mm-hmm. can get out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Looking at the picture that you uh, put on that graph, mm. it, it looked like a, like a lamprey. Kind of, yeah. Yeah, one of them giant blood-sucking eels. Ugh, that's enough. Russian paleontologist Ivan Antonovich Efremov, who also worked in the Gobi Desert, published his scientific adventures in the book The Wind's Path. And he talks about an interesting conversation that he had with an elderly man at the time. The man warned of the death worm. And that's so often how we've received information about the Mongolian death worm. Someone tells someone something that they knew that happened to someone or someone that they knew knew. This guy? Yeah. This guy that I know? Mm-hmm. He knows a guy. Yeah. Of course, that makes information really hard to confirm. But when the simple act of touching the worm can also lead to instant death, it doesn't leave a lot of people to tell the story. Mm, Sure. And it means that those who have heard of it want to share it. Even if it didn't happen to you, but instead to someone your older brother met in college. (laughs) 
Aside from humans, the Mongolian death worm preys on camels. It's said to leave eggs inside the animal's intestines, which will eventually turn the camel the same shade of red as the creature. So apparently he is parasitic as well. None of this is good. Though many swear that this dastardly fella exists, there are a few issues with the information that has been shared about him. Uh, First and foremost, the worm part. The word worm implies this soft, fleshy, juicy kind of guy. Mm -hmm. But, you know, obviously that couldn't function well in the Gobi. It's more likely that instead it's some sort of snake or legless lizard. And if that's the case, wouldn't there be evidence of their remains existing somewhere? Especially in the desert where decomp is slowed and there aren't a lot of natural predators going after carrion. Plus, there is the fact that many expeditions have been set upon in search of him with no luck. There are those who believe he's just been misidentified. There are several venomous snakes, primarily cobras and vipers that can spit poison, though it wouldn't like corrode metal or burn your face off, but it could blind you. And that's pretty nasty. The desert sand boa, for example, is a kind of stumpy snake. He's got a strong, round body, his tail's short and thick, and the head almost blends with the rest of its body. So it kind of looks okay. wormy. Okay. But he's brown, not bright red, hmm. like the Mongolian death worm is purported to be. But his front part is very soft and his back part is coarse and has ridges, which might explain the supposed spikes on the end of the Mongolian death worm. And the uh, exoskeleton. Mm -hmm. And there are, like we said, legless lizards that skulk about, which do look kind of like stumpy, weird. I mean, there's a lot of things that could be misidentified as. And in the desert, often you get thirsty and that can lead to hallucinating. So (laughs) that's true. uh, That is true. Yeah. Yeah. Though the Gobi Desert is a vast region that spans a territory of 500,000 square miles, making the existence of undiscovered animals very likely. So who's to say? Probably not, though. I hope not. I mean, I'm all on board for finding Bigfoot. Mm-hmm. In fact, I had a dream about Bigfoot. You did? Uh, it was. Uh, I think it was during the hurricane, and, and I wasn't sleeping very well because, well, hurricane. Mm. Um, and I, <laughs> I dreamt that um, I, I ran into a guy who said, I know where Sasquatch is. Oh. And this was in the Pacific Northwest, so it made perfect sense in my in my head. Okay. But they took he took me to this cabin in the woods, and there was a party going on there, and everybody there was uh, a Sasquatch, and they were playing cards. Okay. So first first problem is you went to a cabin in the woods to go to a party with a stranger. Yeah. No, yeah. that's mistake mm-hmm. number one. Well, it wasn't me. It was this friend of my brother's in college. Oh, okay. I got most of my information from Live Science, All That's Interesting, Scientific American, and Thought Catalog. That is horrifying, yet fascinating. Mm, that's how I strive to be described. <laughs> well, it's working. <laughs> Want to thank the more recent members of the Order of Freaks on Patreon. Carolyn with a K. Corey with a C. Carolyn with a C. Julian Laurie. Julie with a J as in Jamba. (laughs) Thank you guys so much. You help us grow the podcast and explore things that we can tell you about. 
like cyborgs, apparently. Yeah. We're taking a cruise on the way back from Barcelona, by the way. It's a one-way repositioning cruise. And uh, so for about, I guess, 11 days, we're going to be in the open Atlantic. And I thought it would be really cool to do an episode or two while we're in the Atlantic. Absolutely. Like the Bermuda Triangle, (laughs) right before we disappear. Stop. I was actually discussing uh, the things that I'm freaked out about regarding this trip with my friend Keegan, um, who always makes me feel better, because I was talking about how I was terrified of the depth of the ocean at certain times. And she said, I don't think that there's a reason to be afraid of the depth. No matter how deep it is, it can still kill you. A kiddie pool can kill you. Mm -hmm. It's the breath that scares me. (laughs) (laughs) The breath. (laughs) She's like, how many miles from anything are you going to be? You make me feel better. (laughs) It's like the old saying, aren't you afraid of falling? No, I'm I'm more afraid of the very abrupt stop at the end of the fall. Mm Anyway, if you want to support us on Patreon, you can do so by going to theboxofoddities.com. All the links are there. We'll see you next time. Until then, keep flying that freak flag. Fly it proudly, a beautiful freak. And so, let it be known that the Box of Oddities belongs to you, and its fate is in your hands. Henceforth, the Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories. Stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com On Facebook at Facebook.com slash Podcast, On Twitter at BoxOfOddities And Instagram at BoxOfOdditiesPodcast Copyright 2022. All rights reserved. If you like this podcast, can we recommend another one? It's called Big Picture Science. You can hear it wherever you get your podcasts, and its name tells part of the story. The big picture questions and the most interesting research in science. Seth and I are the hosts. Seth is a scientist. I am Molly, and I'm a science journalist. And we talk to people smarter than us, and we have fun along the way. The show is called Big Picture Science, and as Seth said, you can hear it wherever you get your podcasts. My name is Greg Jackson. I'm a historian, professor, and the creator of History That Doesn't Suck, a podcast that provides a complete overview of U.S. history through storytelling, yet keeps the rigor you'd expect in a university class. Starting with 22-year-old George Washington in his first battle, join me for a chronological telling of the United States' story, its unlikely revolution, fractious civil war, tenacious inventors, brave reformers, and more. With more than 100 episodes, you can already binge listen your way through the progressive era. Find History That Doesn't Suck wherever you get your podcasts.